morning. If you'd like to turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and uh, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. What I'd like to do this morning and uh, might carry over to next Sunday as well, is to kind of follow a thread through this letter to the Philippians to trace it through and see the affections that Paul has for his brothers and his sisters. To just have that before us and let it really kind of rise up before us to be the grand thing that it really is. To see how the joy of his heart was so absolutely connected with the welfare of his brothers and his sisters. And uh, as we consider it together, some of the words that he uses, some of the phrases that he uses, I hope that what will happen is it just kind of rises up before us and causes us to just marvel, to admire it, this heart of our beloved brother Paul. It's okay for us to do that, you know. It's okay for us to let this man, Paul, be before us for our consideration. Yes, we would have the Lord Jesus himself before us. We would consider him. But it's proper for us to consider Paul. And uh, you remember there was one time when he said these words, pretty marvelous words they are. He says, uh, imitate me. That's what he said to the believers, imitate me. But the only reason why he uh, he would say such a thing as that is because of what he says next. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was uh, in clear view of the Lord. Sometimes Christians don't have a very clear view of the Lord. They don't see him 
uh, they don't have such good perception as to what he is like. What would he do? So Paul says, well, just look at me. I see him. And I'm imitating him. And if you watch me, you'll know what he is like. This is encouraging for us, you know, that Paul could say such a thing as that. Because Paul, um, well, you remember how James wrote about Elijah? Now, when we think about Elijah, we think about a great man. We say, wow, Elijah, uh, that was a great man of God. Um, Particularly, James brings out the power of prayer that he had. And, you know, maybe we might be inclined to say, I could never be like an Elijah. (laughs) I mean, why would I even dare to think that I could ever be uh, like a man like him? But James brings out, he says, you know what? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. See, that brings it right down to our level. (laughs) That doesn't exclude anybody. Elijah was a great man of God, but he was a man with a nature like ours. And so we should never think to ourselves, I could never become quite the man of prayer that he was. No, he was a man with a nature like ours. And that's encouraging. Paul was a man with a nature like ours. And uh, he imitated Christ so well that he could actually say, you can imitate me as I imitate him. But he was a man with a nature like ours. And so we don't want to just admire him. It's right for us to do that. It's right for us to think of him, esteem him so very highly, to have his heart on display in front of us. We're going to see it hopefully very clearly as we go through this. Uh, it's great to admire it, but we also want to aspire, right? We want to aspire to this as well. He was a man with a nature like ours. When it comes down to it, the love that Paul had, the heart that Paul had, the affections that he had, it should characterize me too. It should characterize me too. Yet as I consider these things and you along with me this morning and maybe next week, uh, (laughs) we're going to feel challenged. It's going to be... it's uh, going to be something that we're going to want to aspire to. But let us not put it out as if, well, that's Paul. Oh, that's Elijah. We can't possibly um, reach those kinds of heights. No, he was a man. They were men with nature, a nature like ours. So let it humble us. You know, as we view this, let it humble us. Let it, uh, maybe we kind of take a little inventory and we measure ourselves against this and we see where we stand and then we aspire to be like Paul. But even if we see a despairing difference, just in case this happens, if we just see like, my goodness, I am so far away from that kind of a heart, uh, let us not be discouraged. Let us not be discouraged. You see that the love that Paul had for his brothers and sisters, the rich wealth of affections that he had for them, they were present in him because the Spirit of God was present in him. And the Spirit of God is present in every believer. And so these wonderful things that came forth from Paul came forth because the Spirit of God was in him. And we have that same Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. And 
you and I can flourish in this grace as well. You know when the, the fruit of the Spirit is listed, what's the first thing? Love, right? We can flourish in that grace as Paul did. It is the fruit of the Spirit, and we have that Spirit. And Paul and Elijah, they were men with natures like ours. They're not any different than us. We have his spirit. We can flourish in this grace as well. And get ready for it, because it's going to really be elevated before us as we think about it together. But maybe even before we go through this letter and hop, skip, and jump through it to see some of these words and phrases that help put his heart on display, maybe we need a a little bit of a reminder uh, going into it. What, What are we talking about when we talk about love? What is the kind of love that the Bible would speak of? Of course, you know probably the most authoritative, uh, exhaustive place to read a description of love is 1 Corinthians 13. And you know the first thing that is brought up there about what love is that helps us to see it clearly, the first thing, maybe it's the most difficult thing, the first thing that comes up that tells us what love is like is that love suffers long. In fact, the first thing it says is love suffers. (laughs) Love suffers, and it suffers long. See, right away we're like, okay, that just went up a bit. You know, I think about love in maybe a very generic way in the way the world looks at it, but uh, all of a sudden that first thing that's put before us as to what characterizes love is that it suffers and that it suffers long. Another word for that is that, uh, (laughs) sorry, I'm just... Uh, in the corner of my eye, I won't even say who. I see husbands and wives looking, looking at each other as if, yes, I suffer along with you. <laughs> so, but yes, that is love. <laughs> you suffer along with your spouse. But uh, that is what we do when we love. And another word for that <laughs> is patience. Love is patient. And we read in another place... We read in another place that we are to be patient, and get this, be patient with everyone. (laughs) Be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We are to suffer. There's not like, well, I can be patient with these people. <laughs> they're easy to be patient with. In fact, they really don't require much patience because they're generally pretty nice people. But these people over here, I just uh, I don't have time for stupid. <laughs> I don't have time for this. I just can't deal with this. No, 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 no. The love that is for our consideration this morning, what we're called to, is a love that's patient with everyone, that suffers long with everyone. And indeed, maybe there are individuals and they really do make us suffer as we cope with whatever the situations are that we're involved with with them. But love suffers long, it's patient. The, one of the, the images that could come to mind is a farmer. You know, when a farmer uh, plants his seed into the ground, he is such an example of patience. He waits, right? It's like a farmer. He waits for it. He, doesn't, he isn't demanding for that to come right up. He doesn't put the seed in and stand there waiting for it to come out. He waits for the early rain, the latter rain. He waits patiently. And then eventually the body of the grain comes forth out of the ground. You know, I, uh, there's, uh, there's uh, one place that I... Uh, 
realizing this is you're recording this, right? So, uh, <laughs> um, just uh, and I don't want to say too much, but <laughs> sometimes you have to give the Lord a chance to change people. You know, you can't just expect things all of a sudden to be different. It takes time for people to change, and we have to be patient with them. People were patient with you. <laughs> I guarantee you that. And people have been patient with me. Sometimes I look back at particular things and I marvel. <laughs> uh, but uh, we have to be patient. That's what it means to love others. One of the next things that comes up, which uh, it would be a great to spend so much more time on, it's the word kind, that love is kind. You know, that's, uh, that can be so severely lacking among Christians. Just a general kindness to others. Just a, a benevolence towards others. A heart that's, like, that's big towards others. Actually, the word means to make yourself useful. <laughs> you know, when you're kind to others, you're coming by them to help them. You're, 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 you're seeing to those things that... Uh, that they need. You're making yourself useful to them by showing them uh, a big-heartedness, a benevolence. Another characteristic of love, and boy, this one, uh, it does not behave rudely. All right, so here's what that means. Love does not behave rudely. What that means is that I don't purposely do the things that agitate other people. That's what it means to not behave rudely. I don't purposely do the things that I know is going to get under someone else's skin. It's going to fluster them. That's going to make them angry. It's going to make them upset. You know, I see more husbands and wives looking at each other. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we don't do that. If we're really loving, we don't. I mean, I guess there's a little place for co- cooperative uh, teasing or something. But, uh to really love, we don't purposely do the things that get under someone else's skin and agitate them. We, we don't behave rudely. But then I love the way this partners with love does not provoke. It does not behave rudely, which really means it doesn't provoke others. But then it says love is not provoked. So that when other people do that to me, when people say the things and do the things that get under my skin, things that uh, may agitate me, like perhaps five bucks, right, Don? <laughs> like breaking my French press this morning or something. That's <laughs> <No>, fine. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> it's, it's really fine. Five bucks. <laughs> no, it was it was really fine. It was fine. <laughs> no, really. But uh, <laughs> I'm re- see now I'm in trouble. You're and you're in trouble. <laughs> no, but you don't, when people do things to you or say things to you, that's not a, an example, really. It was really no big deal. I'm just being funny. But if someone does something to you to agitate you, to, uh, something they say, something they do, to be loving means that you're not provoked by that. And that's, it's like that partnership there. I don't do things to provoke others, and in love, I am not so easily provoked by what they do to me. Love does not seek its own. It doesn't seek its own. It's seeking the good of others. It thinks no evil. I like this one. It thinks no evil. 
Because we're so good, aren't we, at keeping track of the wrongs that people have done to us. There's like this little store in our minds, and every once in a while, we go in there and we take inventory. Like, yep, everything's still here. (laughs) Everything's still here. I got it all tracked and logged in, and I remember very well all of these things that so-and-so did against me. It thinks no evil, keeps no track of these things. It's very challenging. And then this one. You know, the world, I think this next one, this last one I'll just bring up is, I think the world might be willing to accept almost everything that we've said here. Uh, They might say, yeah, that sounds appropriate. But this next one might be the most challenging. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. See, the world is all quite willing to be loving in their own sense, but um, they don't really have much affection for the truth. They do have affection for, uh, for uncleanness and sinfulness, iniquity. But love, not the way that we're thinking about it, not the way the Bible puts it before us. The love that we are to have is a love that doesn't take any pleasure at all in iniquity. It takes no pleasure in it. In fact, what it does take pleasure in is the truth. And that's challenging too because sometimes people can tell us the truth and we're not too happy about it. When we're confronted with the truth in a very personal way, sometimes we're really not too receptive to that. But love will rejoice in the truth. And that can be very challenging. Sometimes the truth is hard. But love rejoices in the truth. Now, all of a sudden, I mean, I hope that love already, we haven't even considered Paul particularly, but just to consider love, it's, it's uh, just rising above us as something quite grand. And we can flourish in this grace. We can flourish in this grace. We can be loving people, and we are called to be loving people as the children of God. We ought to be. You know, sometimes we got this mentality, and I think you can, you'll find this quite agreeable. We have this mentality of, uh, you know, this is just the way I am. You know, this is just the way I am. So I'm a little rough when I deal with people. That's just the way that I am. I'm a little harsh. I'm a little blunt with people. Uh, and that's just the way I am. I don't always put things in the nicest way, and that's just the way that I am. I'm, maybe I'm a little bit aloof. I don't really reach out to people. I kind of keep to myself, and that's just the way that I am. I don't have patience, really, with people, but that's just the way that I am. I'm not very hospitable. I don't really like spending time and opening up my home to others. I'm, I'm not very generous. I'm not a very good listener, but that's just the way that I am. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. We have to change. We have to change. We have to be different than who we are. And we have to be more like Christ. We can't make excuses for our shortcomings. There are certain things that perhaps we allow because of personality differences, and there's a place for that, but far be it from us to make some kind of an excuse to not progress in those things that we ought to be progressing in, especially love. So you're making excuses. You know, this is personal, (laughs) very personal for me. I remember 
when uh, I, uh, the Lord really started dealing with me and getting me back on track uh, with my spiritual life because I was away from the Lord for a long time. Um, and I remember I started coming out to the meetings again. And I come out to breaking a bread. And you might think this is very unlike me because maybe you think I'm, you know, I seem to get along with everybody. I'm, I don't know if I'm, you consider me a social person or whatever. Uh, I can talk to anybody. But at that time, uh, I would come to the breaking of bread and I would leave during the coffee break. I don't even remember where I went. I just went. And then I would come back for the preaching service. I just, and be, I didn't really want to be around people. I, I really didn't want to um, talk with others. I didn't want to spend that time during the coffee break mingling with my brothers and sisters, so I would just leave. That had to change. <laughs> that had to change. If I was going to be progressing in love, that had to change. It wasn't necessarily easy, but it had to change. I remember not long after that, perhaps, if I can remember right, I remember a brother coming, and uh, I, honestly, he remembered me from many, many, many years before. He was our speaker that morning. Um, I don't even, uh, at the time, I didn't even remember him. Uh, and we were talking during the coffee break. <laughs> See how important it is to be here with the coffee break? Talking, and he said something to me that he doesn't even remember. Um, he doesn't even remember saying it to me. At that point in my life, I, was, uh, I, I really wanted to serve the Lord. I really wanted to serve the Lord. I was desperate to just whatever you want to do with my life, and he tested me on that. Um, and I just, I, I wanted to just, well, I wanted to be a great man of God. So this brother, he doesn't know that, but he says to me during the coffee break, he says, you want to be a great man of God? I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's what he asked me. Do you want to be a great man of God? And I said, yes, I do. He said, then love the people of God. I knew that was a truth. <laughs> I knew that was a truth the moment I heard it. If I wanted to be a great man of God, I needed to love the people of God. I found out later that that didn't even originate with him. Someone had come along at some point in his life and said to him, you want to be a great man of God? Then love the people of God. And I bet you if you did your research, you found out that someone probably told that person. Somebody probably told that person. Somebody probably told that person. Probably go all the way back to the Apostle John who told one of his disciples, hey, you want to be a great man of God? Then love the people of God. And you know, John certainly heard such things from the Lord himself. Think about it. One can't really love God and yet not love his people, can one? So remember what we went through with those lists, and we can add those other words in there. One can't really say they love God and not suffer long with God's people. One can't really say they love God and not be kind to God's people. One can't really say they love God and yet provoke God's people. They may claim to love God, but it is simply impossible for this to be true unless I love the family of God. If someone says I love God, right, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Well, when I heard that statement, I knew it was true. And I just suggest to you, this seems to me a very appropriate thing to do, that as soon as you hear a truth, as soon as you feel, and I'm hoping that this is taking place here, as soon as you know the spirit of the living God who is in you is pressing on something, drawing your attention to something, go to the Lord with it. Go to your heavenly Father about it and pray about it. Father, this is true. I need to change. Help me to change. You know, we have this wonderful privilege of just turning to a heavenly Father at any time with all of our cares. We just go to him. We're supposed to have this intimate relationship with him where as soon as something touches our heart, as soon as we're confused about something, as soon as there's some kind of burden or difficulty, we can go to him. There was a story I heard recently of a sister. She was out at some outing with family and everything, and she got home, and when she got home, uh, maybe it was the next day, she gets an email from one of her relatives about how she, she offended her. And I love what this sister did. She was immediately contrite, and she immediately turned to God, and she prayed, and she asked him, is this true? That is so absolutely appropriate and beautiful that we would so immediately just turn to our Father and speak to him about the things in our life. And so she turned and she had this conversation with him. She felt that it was not an accurate accusation, but then she said, please help me to know what to do now. (laughs) Help me to know how to respond. As soon as we feel challenge, let us turn to God. It might not happen right here. You go home, you remember the message, and you get before God alone, and you just say, I need to change. Help me to change. And let me tell you what the first thing I saw in my life that's probably going to be true for anyone who makes any progress in loving their brothers and sisters. It's what we, you're probably wondering when we're going to get to Philippians here. Go to verse 3. says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. I hope that you will find this absolutely agreeable, that if I am going to love my brothers and sisters, if I am truly loving them, I'm going to be praying for them. I, I am going to be praying for them. I am going to be having very real conversations with my Heavenly Father naming people's names, not just naming their name, but speaking in a very real way, very sincere conversation with the Father about my brothers and sisters, making requests for them. Making requests for them. If we were to eavesdrop on Paul's prayer life, if we were to outside the door of a room and could hear him praying, his prayers were just absolutely filled to overflowing with the names of brothers and sisters. Just going to God about this one and going to God about that one and having conversations about what it is that was going on in their life and what they needed, filled with the names of others, having very real conversations. And even when we don't know some of the specific needs, the scriptures are so full of spiritual prayers. You can pray for anybody. and it would, Well, some are for believers and some for unbelievers, but you can pray for your brothers and sisters. 
even things that you may not even know the specifics about their situation. Things like, like even one here in Philippians, I pray, Father, that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that they might be able to approve the things that are excellent and be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. I pray that they would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give them your peace always and in every way and fill them with all joy and peace and believing so that they can abound in hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. And just have very real conversations with God about others. If I'm going to love others, I'm going to be praying for others. You know, some of us, I'm sure most Christians, this, you know, this is what we do, you know. <laughs> We're Christians. This is what we do. We pray. <laughs> this is what we do. We pray. We're Christians. We read the Bible. We pray. We are well-behaved. <laughs> we spread the gospel. This is, we're Christians. This is what we do. And we ought to be getting better at it. We are to be praying. And not just giving thanks for the food, although that's a very good thing to do. Not just when we come together corporately and we participate in prayer together. Not just when some big catastrophe happens and suddenly we're burdened about some horrible thing that happened and we go to prayer. But regular, daily time with God, speaking to him about our brothers and our sisters, supplicating for them, making requests for them, burdened about them. If I really love them, this is what I'm going to do. So as I go to God and I pray, please help me to love better than I do, change me. One of the ways that we can see evidence of that is I'm going to start praying for my brothers and sisters. And as long as my life seems to be carefree, and there's not really too much time that I'm spending in the secret place with God, lifting up the family of God, then I can't really be assured I'm making much progress in the way of love. Look at verse 7. I mean, this is one of the most precious phrases that Paul uses here. Hallmark, I'm sure, has used this many times. Just as it is right for me to think this of you. Oh, you know what? I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot one thing. Um, did you notice back up in verse 3? Um, he says, I thank my God. <laughs> I, wish, I just remember that. You know, that's one of the things that's going to happen. The more and more we love each other, the more thankful we're going to be for each other. Um, I know sometimes when I go to prayer and I think about certain ones, I find it very easy to thank God for them because they're dear saints, you know. Um, but others, maybe not so much. <laughs> others, maybe it's not so effortless to uh, find yourself thankful for them. But as love grows from the family of God, we're not only going to pray for them, we're going to sincerely be thankful for them. So I don't want to leave that out. But going back now to verse 7, look at that phrase. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. Now listen, brothers and sisters, is this how we would speak about one another? Would we say this about one another? Just let the challenge hit us in a very personal way. Would I use such phrases as this? When I think of the brothers and sisters that I know, they're in my heart. That's where they are. Can I say that? They're in my heart. I mean, what a precious thing. My brothers and sisters are in my heart. And verse 8. 
for God is my witness. Now, whenever you call God as your witness, you better be telling the truth. <laughs> you don't, don't use that phrase lightly. For God is my witness. Well, I mean, it's almost like an exclamation to say, what I am telling you, what I'm about to say is absolutely the, the truth. I would even call God as my witness that such a thing is true. He says, how greatly I long for you all. We realize (laughs) what an intense statement that is. To long for one's brothers and sisters. To have such a yearning desire to be with them. To see them. To see their faces. To hear their voices. To be in their company. This urge to just, I want, that's where I want to be. I am yearning for their fellowship. I am yearning to be in their presence. How greatly I long for them. For me, I personally find this to be challenging. I am not here yet. Now, please, I was looking forward to being here this morning. (laughs) I was looking forward to seeing you all and um, being with you. But this is like, this just seems like another level. To be that desirous. That's love. For the family of God. But then we could just stop there, but he goes on to make it even more emphatic. He says, How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Wow. No wonder he said he had to say, God is my witness, because they would say, Come on, Paul, aren't you overdoing it a little bit? You you long for us so greatly. With even the affection of Jesus Christ, he says, I'll call God as my witness that I do. Now, I mean, I hope that this is just rising up before you. Like, my goodness. It must have been such a pleasure to be around a man like Paul. This is how he felt about his brothers and sisters. This is the kind of affection he had for them. Even the affection of Jesus Christ for them. What kind of affection does Jesus Christ have for us? He laid down his life for us. Paul says, that's that's the kind of affection I have for you. Next week we'll get to the point, Lord willing. He says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. On the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am just so glad to just pour myself out. It makes me glad to just pour myself out. In another place, he says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. The affection of Jesus Christ to just absolutely love others so much that you just take your life, you take everything and just pour it out for them. Paul was a man with a nature like ours. He had the spirit of the living God, just as we do. Let's not just admire him. Let's aspire to be like him, even as he was like the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we pray that we would see all the more clearly this call to love in such a way as this. We pray that we would see very clearly where the challenges are in our own life, that your spirit would help us, stir us up. We even read later in the book of Philippians that you are the one who is in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. And I have no doubt that if any one of us would be sensitive to your spirit within us, that we would feel him calling us 
to love one another better than we do, to find those ways in which we can, uh, we can really display the kinds of things that we were talking about this morning. Help us with this, we pray. We can't obviously do it without your Spirit. This is the fruit of your Spirit. But we pray that as we feel the challenge, we would yield to him and we would be willing to change and uh, it, we, would, uh, we would do whatever it is that you want us to do. So we ask for your help with these things and we thank you ultimately for how our brother Paul was an example of our Savior who loved us so much that he gave himself for us and we want to be like him. We want to be like him. And what an honor that we could be so much like him that people might be able to even look at us and know what he is like. We pray that you do this in each and every one of us as your children. And we ask these things in our Savior's name and for his name's sake. Amen.